One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. You need to have, you know, a smiley demeanor. You need to be pleasant to people. You need to, you know, always be courteous, be interested in people. And I think. You know, because if you're going around with a, a big sour head on you, visiting shops or whatever it is, you know, you're, you're, you're going to kill any humor just at the door. So it's about, I think, maybe having a kind of a, an upbeat, positive, smiley demeanor that people will warm to. Welcome to the Humorology Podcast with me, Paul Barros, and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport, and entertainment, who are going to share their wisdom and their use of humor with you. Humorology is the study of how humor can dramatically improve your business and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock, and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest on this edition of the Humorology podcast is an Irish entrepreneur, broadcaster and beloved business behemoth. As the charismatic kingpin of catering, his career has served up serial success, which culminated in him founding the hugely popular Insomnia coffee brand. Broadcasting beckoned and he became a regular fixture on TV's Dragon's Den and then host of Down to Business, a radio show on the Irish talk radio station News Talk. He's a keen sailor. However, his life hasn't always been plain sailing. A few years ago, he battled head and neck cancer. But like with most things in his life, he won. His serial success has given him a sense of pride, a sense of honour, and most importantly, a sense of humour. Bobby Kerr, welcome to the Humorology podcast. Well, hello, Paul. I'm really, really thrilled to be on your podcast, and I'm really looking forward to the subject matter, which is humour. Right oh. up my alley. Thank you. Oh, I, that's why you're here, Bobby, because we know you're always good for a laugh. Um, Oh, I heard you do a quote, which I was fascinated by, that you said your favourite quote is from Pablo Picasso. Everything you can imagine is real. Was that part of the whole attitude that you had that made you successful? I don't know. I, 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 I put a lot of whatever. And again, success means different things to different people. For me, success now is very simple. It's, it's health, it's family, it's friends, it's happiness. Uh, I think uh, we, 
we guess our, 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 our barometer of success becomes clearer and more simplistic as we maybe age slightly. I'm 60 this year. Well, you're looking good on it, Bobby. <laughs> And I did mention that you'd you'd gone through um, your episode with cancer and come out of the other side. How significant was that in your life and also in keeping a sense of humour to battle it? Yeah, I, I, well, firstly, I was so shocked when it happened that I was I was I was knocked for six. But then I once I got my treatment plan and I knew what I was doing. Uh, and I, 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 I basically put my head down and said I was going to get through it. So uh, I did have some humor in the darkest hours when I was getting radiation treatment. You used to be able to bring in your own music uh, when they were basically strapping you down in this mask down to a table. And I used to bring in Pink Floyd and I said, I used to say to them, can we not play this any louder? Uh, and I'd have my Pink Floyd CDs turned up really, really loud, just so that I could bear the what was all almost akin to being buried alive, like a suffocation. Really, really scary thing. You get used to it after a while, but I struggled with it at the start, and Pink Floyd got me through it. Is music important in your life? Always has been. I've always been somebody who went to gigs. I still listen to a lot of music and I just, I find music really relaxing. I, I, I listen to music mainly when I run now. And I think the combination of running and music is not to be beaten. There's a lot of uh, a kinship between people who love humour and mu people who love music. Do, do you find that? You know, most of my friends who, my close friends, all I still hang around with guys that I was in in secondary school with, uh, you know, where we were, we had a 40 year reunion recently. And th those same guys, you know, are all into music. Uh, and they are the people that I slag most and they probably slag me most. So clearly there are parallels there. We had Dr. Richard Bandler on recently who developed the field of NLP. And he said one of the greatest uh, things that you can do, whether that's in business or in personal life, is to chide people. And you've just used the term slag each other off, which I prefer, to be honest with you. But that, that uh, taking the piss, generally. Love it. That's, my, that's one of my favourite types of humour, because I I, it's banter, it's quick, uh, it's, 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 it's impulsive, it's you know, there's too much thought goes into it and it just happens. Was that part of the chiding, the taking the piss? Did that come into the, the boardroom as well? Yeah, I remember I remember once when I worked, before I said I had my own business, I worked for <clears throat> another fairly, a very successful Irish entrepreneur. And I remember saying one time to him, you know, we were only just having a, having a bit of humor just to get through the day. And he said, well, he says to me, well, you're laughing at the shareholder. And I said, well, maybe we are. <laughs> but uh, he didn't think it was funny. But I, I like when I remember working in kitchens, working in very pressurized situations and humor really is the greatest tonic when you're under pressure. So people will joke people, but you know, you're there and the place could be falling apart. But if there's a bit of banter going on, it actually 
it actually holds the whole scene together. So I've always been, I've always been, that's always been my way of operating. So you say it's always been your way of operating. Well, was the young Bobby Kerr therefore always humorous? I would as well. I'm not like, again, I think you asked the question, do you think you're funny? I'm not sure. I often laugh at my own jokes, which is probably something you shouldn't do. But you know, if you do and you find it funny, maybe that's okay um, because you're getting something out of it. But my wife says to me, you shouldn't be laughing at your own jokes. Now she's with me. We're married 33 years. I've gone out with her. I'm we're together nearly 40 years. And she still doesn't think I'm funny. Even though <laughs> you must have something she, else, Bobby, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was asking her before I came on the podcast, you know, I was sort of bent. I, I was just throwing in a couple of, I said, would this be okay? No, you can't say that. No, you can't say that. They'll think you're crazy. I said, no, this guy is very liberal. He'll be fine. <laughs> wait, wait, well, whatever she said you can't say, that's the stuff we want, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> right. them's the rules you were asking me what makes me laugh and as I yeah. said I enjoy banter with mates I like prank humour um, I like lads humour I'd be honest and say that sometimes I like um, you know sort of situational stuff that goes wrong I love something like on air bloopers or that kind of stuff that where one can see the kind of reality of, man, this is just crazy. How could this have happened? How could somebody have said that? I find that kind of stuff very amusing. I, I think I heard on one of those bloopers uh, recently, a lady, he called her Clitty. Uh, she was meant to be chitty somebody. And he said, well, Clitty, he said, will I use my job for that? And she said, well, you will if you keep calling me Clitty. This is an on-air, an on-air blooper. I said, whoa, that's great stuff. Well, I think you mentioned a very important word in, in humour. Isn't humour one of the best relationship builders there is? Because, you know, if you can get somebody to laugh, automatically you're bonded, aren't you? Big time. And I think, I think you find your own level with people that, you know, appreciate your humor, maybe you appreciate theirs. I think particularly in the workplace, you'll find that friendships are built around similar attitudes towards humor. So people who saw, maybe find the same things funny, they, say, they laugh at the same customers perhaps, or suppliers or whatever it is, people who are, who they interact with in the business. You'll find, a commonality there, I think, that friendships can be built on. And as somebody who's led big organisations, uh, what would you say is, how do you engender that kind of atmosphere in a company so you allow that to happen in a positive way? Well, I think the first thing you need to do is you need to have, out, outwardly, you need to have, you know, a smiley demeanour. You need to be pleasant to people. You need to, you know, always be courteous, be interested in people. And I think, you know, because if you're going around with a, a big sour head on you, visiting shops or whatever it is, you know, you're, you're, you're going to kill any humor just at the door. So it's about, I think, maybe having a kind of a, an upbeat, positive, smiley demeanor 
that people will warm to. The, the Chinese have a saying, which <clears throat> is man without smile should not open shop. <laughs> Very true. I totally get that. Totally. How did you actually make sure that, uh, because I would have thought uh, being in charge of employing people, how do you employ people who are going to give the right message over to your customers? Well, I think if you, and I, again, I remember we used to, when we started employing people, originally when we, well, I, I wasn't the founder of Insomnia. I actually was bought, my company was bought by Insomnia and then I reversed myself into it. So, but it was, it was back in those early days when we had all our employees were Irish, that when we started off. Then we had this great influx of wonderful people from Europe, from South America, from all these wonderful, colorful uh, nationalities. And we found then that certainly, initially in those days, you know, humor, people didn't understand the Polish humor, for instance, the Chinese humor was sometimes, again, you know, it took a while because Irish people were so used to just dealing with Irish people, to be honest with you, that all these cultures took a few years to embed. And we used to have 100% Irish. Then we had 100% over a period of years. We, we went the other way, where at one stage, there was only three of us in the company and with about 300 employees at the time that weren't Irish. So everybody, everybody was from somewhere else except the three of us who were all the directors of the company. And now it's about um, maybe half, half. So, but that, that in its sense, because I think different nationalities, they deal with, they, they have different humorous traits. And I think it takes a while to understand those and to get to know them. And sometimes that isn't evident. You know, if you put a guy in to a coffee shop and he's dealing with a customer, maybe he, because he's, he's, he's process driven, he misses that whole, you know, how are you, the interaction. And I think, I don't know if, uh, I would say Irish people certainly love to be recognized. The whole thing about somebody knowing your name or remembering you, your coffee that you ordered the last time, that kind of thing just goes miles with people. Well, I, I think that's incredibly true and, and, and brilliant advice. Isn't a smile the same everywhere in the world? Doesn't it, it, as a psychologist, I would say that a smile is one thing you can bring for, to anyone in the world because babies are hardwired to smile. So that's the commonality of the world. But I think as well, though, if you go to certain countries, you know, and you'll get a smile and you'll get a lot of, you know, have a nice day and I'm, you're awesome and all this. But you wonder, the question of sincerity comes into it. Is it, is it sincere? And I, I'd be a big, I, I'd sort of be looking out for the sincere smile or the, the sincere interaction versus the one that I read in the manual. How do you choose people who are, are going to get it? Is it all gut instinct on your part? Pretty much. Um, and again, I won't say I've always got it right, but uh, any time that I was interviewing anybody for a job, 
you know, I, 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 I sometimes wouldn't take the most qualified. I would take the person and look at the job in how is this person going to fit in to our organization and the situation. And I think if you approach it that way, you know, you have a much better chance of success. People who listen to this podcast are listening for different reasons, A, to be entertained, hopefully, but but to take away nuggets. And I think that's a fantastic nugget because as a psychologist, I would say that people, this go, when you're going for a job, I think the most important thing you can do is get rapport with the people you're getting a job from. And there's somebody, you're somebody who's been a boss of big organizations who is saying, yeah, it still comes down to that feeling uh, that you get on with somebody, that you like them, that, you know, you're, you can get over your qualifications. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, qualifications are only like, and I do believe in education and I do believe in, in, in learning, you know, uh, uh, like uh, learning on the job, uh, you know, re-education, all, I believe in all that. But I think education it will get you in the door. But beyond that, like I've seen very, very smart people over the years who couldn't get on with anybody and they become a liability to an organization. No matter how smart you are, if you can't get on with people, you're no good. I completely agree. So that takes me on to the question, is everyone funny, Bobby? I think you've kind of answered that in the sense that maybe well, I, not. I, I, think, I think there are people, there are many people uh, that I've met that aren't funny and will never be funny. And even that, even sometimes, you know, having a laugh with them is sometimes entertaining because they just don't get humour and you can have fun with people like that as well that have no humour. I've yet to meet anybody who has said, I don't have a good sense of humour. And on every dating profile, people will write GSOH, won't they? So, <laughs> so everybody's thinking that they have a good sense of humour, but, but you think in reality it's not true. Uh, no, because I, 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 I think of all the people that I meet over the course of my day, over the course of my week, and there are people I meet that just aren't funny and they never will be funny. And, you know, uh, it, it takes all types, but I like to I like to shake and move with the people who are, okay, if so I can. I, uh, I think that's that's very smart. So where would the world actually be without humour? It would be a very dull and boring place. And, you know, when you think of even passing the time, if you're working somewhere and it's slow or you're bored or like humor, again, collective humor can just make a place so much more vibrant, uh, can pass the time quickly, you know, so you won't get bored. And again, just stimulate all sorts of creativity and activity. So you, you mentioned stimulating. Do you actually think you said creativity and activity, but does it stimulate productivity as well in, in, in business? Well, I don't think it's a barrier to productivity. I, I, I think, you know, you can, as I said earlier there, you know, when you're working in a busy kitchen and you're flat out, 
you can be cracking jokes, you know, and be knee deep trying to sort something out. So it doesn't have to affect productivity at all, I think. I think you need to be appropriate. Like, um, I think if you're, you know, if you're serving customers, for instance, you know, you need to be sure that if you're going to bring humor into the scenario that you have some sort of rapport with the customer. Like, again, it would be risky to start telling jokes with everybody who came up in the line because some people might think, you know, different strokes for different folks. So I think, I think you have to be selective and I think you just have to be cautious sometime. Do you think that it's important for uh, people to be able to laugh at themselves, especially Hugely. in business? And I think, I think if you're not able to laugh at yourself, again, it's, it's very hard to dish out uh, slagging as we talked about earlier. I, the, the whole uh, self-deprecation thing, I'm a big fan of. Uh, I, and I think, I remember, oh, it must be 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I remember doing a, a backflip in, a, we had a, 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 an insomnia coffee shop up in UCD, one of the, at the big Dublin universities. And I was up there working and I, I slipped on a, I think it was a pat of butter, went right up and landed on my back. And there was like 400 students watching. And I said, Jesus Christ, you know, way you, when you jump up and you're actually hurt, but you, you don't want to, you just say, oh yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. I nearly broke my back. But I just, all I could do was stand there laughing. And I just think, yeah, laugh at yourself because, it, and again, People who are good at it can be extremely funny. I think it's a, it's a type of humor that done well can be extremely, extremely funny. Yeah, I've got Irish roots and uh, I think the Irish are very good at self-deprecation. I think there are certain countries where self-deprecation, they don't actually like it. And yeah. I would say, uh, and I, maybe I'm exaggerated, but, you know, it, there's something natural with the Irish about, uh, ah, that'll be what I'm like, you know. <laughs> and I, I just think that it's, that is why maybe, and I'm just working this out as we go along, but maybe that is where the Irish charm comes in. Because if you can naturally self-deprecate and, and uh, people warm to you, do you think there's any truth in that? I've just made that up. I do. I, I, and again, I, I, I like not that you're out there wanting everybody to warm to you. I don't think, you know, I don't think we go about our day with that intent. But I do think that, you know, it, it does show a form of humility, be it to, to use another word, that I think people would admire because it, it shows that you're not above uh, you know anybody else or you don't consider yourself above and you're you're willing to sort of say well look I screwed this up so what so no I, I, I'll tell you another thing that that happened to me uh, about two years ago and there was two of my I've got four daughters and I was out for a walk with my two youngest daughters and this car pulled up and said how are you Bobby how are you and I went over to the window of the car and the lady said, oh, how are you, Bobby? And, and I didn't know who she was. And she said to me, 
uh, Jack's after Jack's after passing. Jack has died, and I said, Do you know, I'm really, really glad you told me that, uh, and I'm really, really sorry about that as well. And that was, fun. and then we had another bit of chat, and then I went away, and the girl said to me, "Who was that?" And I said, "I don't know who it was. I didn't know the person, but I felt rather than." you know, making it more awkward that the easiest thing to do was to just say, I, surely I do know Jack, I just don't, can't remember him now. But really sorry for your loss. And, and the kids couldn't believe that I would do that. And I said, well, was that not the best thing to do in the scenario? It would have been disrespectful to say that I didn't know uh, her husband, who I should have known. Um, yeah. So anyway, it was just something that happened. No, it's, and it's important, isn't it? It's, uh, by the way, I think that the, the people with, uh, yeah, you introduced a really interesting word, humour uh, as humility as well. And then th that story uh, shows the humility of you. You could go, you know, well, I don't know who he is, but why hurt somebody's feelings? That's it. And, and again, I, 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 I think... That's the only type of humor that I probably don't subscribe to is where somebody is genuinely hurt or upset or, you know, if, 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 if whatever the humorous act, uh, I wouldn't probably always have thought this way, but I would say that if the humorous act or joke or whatever it is offends somebody, uh, then it's, 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 it's not, You've, you've, you've crossed a line. Well, yeah, but humour can be bullying at times. It, in the, it's in the wrong hands, you know. It's, you know, a knife in the wrong hands, you know, can stab somebody, but also can actually make you a beautiful meal, but, you know. But, you know, you talk about being able to laugh at yourself. I've done this a few times. I, I remember, uh, you know, speaking with a group of accountants and, you know, there's a room full of accountants there and you... You come in and you say, well, uh, what does a, an accountant use as a contraceptive? And you say, his personality. And they all say, well, <laughs> sorry, we're accountants. How can you speak to us like that? But if it's done in the right way, if it's done in a way, uh, now, but it's risky, but it, it, if, if, it, if it works, it works well. Uh, yeah, well, I, I used to work at the comedy store and and we had the equivalent joke, uh, which is what do you say when you see um, uh, three accountants up to their necks in shit? Uh. Not enough shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So do you think people laugh enough in the workplace, Bobby? I do. Well, any of the places I've ever worked, uh, I've always, there's always been some sense of, of humour or some, but you know, there's always the serious business of getting the work done, getting whatever it is, hitting the sales target. But I, 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 I think humour can live perfectly comfortable, comfortably with uh, a dynamic achieving environment. I, I, in fact, I think it has a really good place there. And uh, I think humour is hugely important in the workplace. And thankfully, the places that I work, and I don't work as actively as I used to with big teams of people, but even my work in news talk or anything like that, we always have uh, a bit of banter. But again, we're on air we're serious, we have a job to do, we have people to interview, and that all is very, very serious. But again, within that, I'd always like to think that I could bring out the light side of a, of a guest. Uh, and again, it makes for a much more interesting interview if somebody uh, is humorous or says something that's even mildly funny. It's better than listening to some guy trying to sell something or sell himself or his business. Like, yeah, you know, I, I, I think we can uh, have a, a quote on the, uh, about this. Bobby says banter's good for business. Yeah, it is. That's the banner headline. Yeah. And I do a slot on, on Down to Business, the radio show you, you kindly referenced earlier, called The Executive Chair. And it basically is about the executive who, the guy who has made it. And I always... I always find that the people who talk about their early days, who talk about their failures, who will throw in a joke or something light are far better than the guys giving you their corporate objectives or, you know, uh, some sort of high level strategy or what their debt equity ratio is, or that's all bland stuff. So, and I, I'm amazed sometimes as well at, you know, intelligent people, smart people who don't get the importance of personality, who don't get uh, the importance of good, no-nonsense communication, sincerity, all that stuff. Uh, 
humor, interaction, far better listening if you're a radio listener than some guy spouting off, uh, you know, his, his, his latest acquisition. So you mentioned failure. How do you get over failure? Is it is it possible to laugh at your failures? And then is it easier to move on once you've done that? Yeah, I, I, I think there's maybe a period of reflection between the failure and the moving on, which, again, could be as little as an hour or it could be a week or it could be a month. But... I think there probably should be some period, depending on how big the screw up actually is, uh, between making the fuck up and then moving on from it. Um, and again, I've made many. Uh, and again, I've, I've, um, some of them, well, most of them I can kind of look back at and, and laugh at. Um, I was involved when I worked in Canada in the, mid 80s, I was involved in the Pope's visit to uh, Canada. And I was, I was charged with, it was a, a big airport, uh, an old military base about 30 miles north of Toronto. And the company I was working for were doing all the catering, right? Huge logistical operations with massive big trailers and trucks and living in, in uh, camper vans and all that. And I was on the site. My job was to run this. And they were expecting a million people, right? That was the forecasted visitors on the day. And the event was in September. In July, of, in June of that year, we froze 500,000 sandwiches under liquid nitrogen, right? This was back in the mid 80s. Never heard of it, never saw of it. And we had all these frozen sandwiches. And then the event was on in September. The Pope arrives three days before he arrives. It rains cats and dogs, right? Torrential rain. The site becomes a mud bath. It was like a scene out of Father Ted, priests and nuns and everything rolling around in the mud. The day happens and of the million that were expected to come, 100,000 people came, and guess what? 50% of them brought their own sandwiches. There you go. That is a true story. And we lost our boots. The company that I was working for lost over a million dollars on the day. It was like my boss was fired. Um, yeah, I was only the grunt on the ground uh, directing traffic. But the guy who, who I was reporting, he got the bullet the next day and... That was I. That I remember thinking, this is failure. This is this is fail fast, fail big, and I, I barely survived it, but I did. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. that's a great story. That's that's yeah. That, that happened in 1984, I think it was. Bobby, if I asked you to write a business case for humour, what would you include in that? I I think. It's a hugely, it's a great motivator for staff, number one. It's, it's, it's a really positive way to interact with customers, number two. And, I, and I'm, I'm talking light humor here now on the, on the customer side because bearing in mind that we may not know them too well. But I, I also think it helps employee retention um, because I think 
humor is part of it, it's it, it's 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 an important component of job satisfaction in the workplace. I think because I don't think people would behave in a humorous way if they're unhappy. Uh, so I think you know the more humor there is, de facto, the more settled an employee is, equals less employee turnover. Um, they would be business arguments that I would make. No, I think they're great business arguments. And But how would you measure the ROI, the return on investment on those? Uh, like any, like anything, uh, with, with difficulty. It's it's very important. I don't know, it's, it's difficult. And maybe I don't really have the answer for that, Paul, of, 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 of like, I, I, I do believe, you know, I always used to measure uh, employee retention on a shop-by-shop basis. And clearly, you could see if, you know, you, it was pretty easy to get a yardstick or a benchmark of what was acceptable. And I think if you could see, you know, that, that you were training more people in a particular new starts, new hires, uh, you know, double the amount in one shop, uh, versus another, it's costing you a lot more money, number one, but more importantly, it's going to affect the customer service, number two, because you're going to have, you know, a whole lot of new newbies who are training or untrained uh, interacting with and interfacing with the customer. So I think that's a brilliant point. And, and uh, I think it's one of those things where whereby I'm wondering how we're going to shift the whole humorology project so that um, CEOs and board members all over the world go, we need this. We need people to be happier at work. So many things are driven by the bottom line now. But can I just, can I just say this, Paul? I, I hate, and again, it comes back to sincerity. Um, one of my daughters was working in a company where they were practically force-fed beer and pizza on a Friday night. Nobody wanted to be there. You know, the place was hellish from Monday to Thursday. And, you know, the, the CEO of that organization thought by buying pizza and force-feeding people beer that all would be well. So it comes back to, is it sincere or is it not? So, and I, I think... You know, I, I think a little bit of a little bit of soul goes a long way. I, I think that's very true. I, I, I'm, I'm very interested in it, the that. OK, people think it's an equation. OK, Friday night, here's here's three beers per person. Now they'll be happy <laughs> with fellas course, I don't want to drink with. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You can give me as much beer as you like, but if you put me in a room with some pain in the ass people, the beer yeah. won't taste sweet. So it's about building a whole atmosphere. Big time. Yeah. And, and a culture. Isn't that what culture is? A culture of um, lightness, a culture of fun. Yeah. And I think as well, if you know, if you're working in an organization and the CEO walks through the office or the warehouse or whatever it is and is able to crack a joke. Uh, you know, and again, it doesn't have to detract from the seriousness of work or, 
you know, the, the getting the job done piece. But I think that that would probably be somewhat infectious, i.e. then, you know, if, if the CEO was down in the warehouse joking around, you know, maybe then the, the warehouse supervisor feels it's okay to do the same with the forklift drivers or whatever it is. But that's how culture gets built from the top down and from the bottom up. Yeah, it's very interesting from a psychological perspective that you use the word infectious because uh, in psychology, we say if you want anybody to go into a, any state, you have to go into that state first. So if you want to make people uptight, guess Be what? Be uptight yourself. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You have it there. And, and and so what and I suspect and that's what's really great about actually spending time with great leaders like yourself is I get to unpack the important bits so our listeners can <laughs> listen to, you know, no, I'm serious. And, I'm you know, I, I know that the Americans would call this blowing smoke up your ass. But but it's actually I think those are the crucial bits for people who want to win in life is actually the, the stuff that nobody thinks about. The, 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 how do you build that culture? Well, guess what? You've got to be somebody like yourself who goes back to the floor, who has a joke with somebody who appropriately um, will take the piss, will, will banter. And those are, I think, crucial elements that I think sometimes get lost because, you know, the, nobody's teaching this at the Harvard Business School yeah. yet. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think I, I must give some more thought to your, your concept there of the business case because there probably are some metrics uh, that one could uh, introduce or could look at around uh, humor and you know how it's how, how it's measured because uh, I think maybe because humor is different things to different people it, it, it's it's not the most easily uh, of subjects to measure. Well, you and I can do a course all round Ireland <laughs> so uh, together. Uh, how to get the banter back? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Have you ever taken a joke too far or crossed the line, Bobby? I I have I remember I remember one time and it's about you know public speaking and I mentioned earlier about you know the accountants and the joke but sometimes if you miss if you misread your audience um, I I I I remember being at a, an insurance dinner I was an after I was an after dinner speaker and I thought I made what was a, a, a witty and upbeat. Uh, and there was a couple of maybe blue bits in the, in the humor and a, a lady got upset over us. And, you know, be, I, I, I reckoned then, even if 200 people were happy and thought it was funny, uh, the fact that one person didn't kind of ruined the night for me. Uh, and that was a lesson to me that, you know, you really need to know who your audience are, you know, before you start, uh, you know, taking it out there. Well, just so you know, I spent 10 years of my life working the comedy store and every comedian has had that same thing whereby the whole audience is laughing. But if one person yeah. isn't laughing, 
then they that's the what they'll take home. And isn't it funny? We can't remember all the great gigs we did, but we'll remember the bad ones oh, to yeah. our dying yeah. day. But you know, it taught me something. And and again, I always, whenever I'm 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 speaking now, I always really really try and find out who's in the audience in other words you know while everybody will be different but you really do need to know who the audience are and what they expect so have you ever gotten yourself out of trouble by using humor i have yeah i um i was i was stopped by uh the guardie on the on my way about when I was working in on radio on Sunday mornings, I uh, I was there's a, a a town near near me here in Dunleary called Black Rock. I was on my way into work at seven o'clock one Sunday morning, nobody else out, and I turned a corner and I nearly ran this guard over. Uh, he was standing in the middle of the road, and he said, uh, "Where are you going?" I said, "I'm going to work," and I said to him. Uh, he says, well, you're going too fast. And I said, well, guard, you know, there's only you and me up here now. Surely this is hardly the crime of the century. And he he, he said, it's hardly the crime of the century. Now get the fuck off out of here and go into work and leave me alone. But he was a, a, a big, and I, and I wasn't disrespectful to him, but I was, I suppose I was cheeky. And he saw the funny side and let me go. So, oh. Well, that's uh, that's useful then. Is is humour a, a superpower? Do you think? Do you think that uh, it's one of those things that that the best have it uh, at their fingertips? Well, I think I think if if you were asking me, would I prefer to be considered the most intelligent person in the room or the funniest person in the room? I'd much prefer to be the funniest person. I just think it's a much better place uh, and it's going to be a much better experience. So do you think, uh, you see, I think there's a correlation between intelligence and humour because you need emotional intelligence to to get humour right. And so uh, I, I think it's an easy choice to go be the funniest person in the room because I think you tick the intelligence box as well. Well, well I think you're talking about emotional intelligence, but you're also probably talking about academic intelligence, which, is, uh, uh, which isn't, you know, it, that's very different in the sense that it can be very boring. <laughs> like it really can and not interesting at all. Uh, I don't know if you ever watch University Challenge. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I some Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's actually a compulsive uh, watch. And you go, these are how do you know all that stuff? But you kind of go, I wouldn't want to be stuck in a lift with you. No, I know. I, I, I totally agree. And and it's it's yeah, no. Uh, give me the funny guy any day. Well, me too. Bobby, we now come to the part of the show we call Quick Fire Questions. And we have a jingle, which was written by Spike Edney of Queen. Quick Fire Questions! Bobby, who is the funniest business person you've met? A guy called Pat Short. He's 
an Irish comedian. He's grounded in rural humor, um, but he does all he does all the business stuff for his own. Uh, he's he's a movie star. He's a, a, a theater producer, but he looks after all the business end of it himself. Uh, very, very clever guy and a really, really funny guy. I also was a big admirer of Dermot Morgan, Father Ted, who you may know. Yeah. Um, uh, God rest his soul. What a great guy and what a funny guy. Like if you talk, you want to see Irish humor at its best. He, that was him. Well, I I worked a few times with Ardell O'Hanlon as well. Yeah. The funny man. Big time. They're great guys. That was... That's that's my type of humor. Oh, genius, Father Ted, genius. What book makes you laugh? I have a book here with me called What the Fuck Should I Make for Dinner? The Answers <laughs> to Life's Everyday Questions in 50 Effing Recipes by a guy called Zach Golden. And there's there's a it's a, it's a, it's a it's a cookery book, right? And then so he's got a a, a quote on one side of the book Make your crunchy granola, ask some fucking avocado, fennel and citrus salad. And then there's two sub, don't fucking like that, turn to page 56. Not a fucking vegetarian, turn to page 34. So (laughs) if you're thinking about what you want to cook for dinner, this is really, really funny. Oh, well, there you go. that's That's a present. For all who like filth, (laughs) food and filth in one book. Two Fs. (laughs) Yeah, we'll ignore the other one. Um, uh, What film makes you laugh, Bobby? Love The Hangover. Uh, And again, that type of humour. School of Rock is another one of my favourites. There's music and humour. We talked about it earlier. But that's really good music and really good humour. All on the same place. School of Rock. School of Rock, great. What word makes you laugh? Assume. Making an ass out of you and me. Assume. Oh, I, I love the quote. We, we go back to films, but the, the, the quote from Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, which is, Assumption is the mother of all fuck-ups. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's not funny? I think jokes that hurt people's feelings, like we talked about earlier. I, I, I'm always uncomfortable around anything around, even like people with disabilities, that type of stuff. That's just not my type of humor. I like I, I and I, I, I don't consider that funny, even though I know some some com- comedians use it as a platform. But I, I think if you if you take a you know, a, a, a narrow focus in on a particular, you know, a particular group or a particular uh, you know, set of people. Um, you have to be very, very careful. So I just think um, those kind of jokes are, are not for me. I asked this before and you sort of answered it before, but I'm going to ask it again, just because it's in quick fire questions. Would you rather be considered clever or funny? Definitely funny. I'm not interested in being considered clever. Definitely funny. Much better taste to have. And finally, Bobby, Desert Island Gags. 
if you can only take one joke with you to a desert island, what would that joke be? Now, this is where I have, I have a dilemma because I, I love the light bulb jokes. Um, I Because I, I like the simplicity and I like the fact that they're one line. Um, I, w- I was chairing a debate recently up in one of the universities here and I, I, I had five different light bulb jokes that applied to the five different universities. So I was able to adapt the jokes. So like you've got Trinity, which is a considered, say, a, a posh university here in Dublin. So how many Trinity students does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, the answer is one, but the light bulb never really gets changed. The student from Trinity puts the bulb in the socket and waits for the world to revolve around him. <laughs> and then, then there's the second university, which is probably maybe, it used to be, a, a, a technical university and now it's got full university status. So, and it's called DIT, now called TUD, Technical University Dublin. So you say, how many DIT students does it take to change a light bulb? Two, one to change the bulb and the other to complain if they had a better college, the light bulb wouldn't go out. And then there's DCU, which is a similar place, which they call themselves a university and but they, there was a kind of a question mark over their pedigree. They were only a university for the last 10, 10 years. How many DCU students does it take to change a light bulb? Ha ha, trick question. DCU isn't a real university. <laughs> <clears throat> and then there's the art and design university that's just over here in Dunleary. It's called IADT. And how many IADT students does it take to change a light bulb? Lava bu- lava lamps don't burn out, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then Limerick is a place that maybe has a reputation for maybe violence, for being a rough, a rough city. So how many University of Limerick students does it take to change a light bulb? What? There's a university in Limerick? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they're my. I like light bulb jokes. Um, well, they're, they're brilliant jokes, and they can go with you to the desert island. Oh, Bobby Kerr, thank you so much. You're brilliant at business, brilliant at banter, and I've loved having you on the Humorology podcast. Thanks, Paul. Thank I really enjoyed it. And, and hello to all all your listeners, and thanks again to Simon on uh, for getting all this set up for us today. So great to talk to you. The Humorology podcast was hosted by Paul Barros and produced by Simon Banks. Music by Steve Hayworth, creative direction by Les Hughes and additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky production. 